0: Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll spend the next half an hour or so with me as we take a look at the issues that are affecting us today. And as I come to you from level four lockdown in Auckland, we're talking the COVID crisis today, but not here in Aotearoa, we're off to Texas. It's COVID Texas style on Active Intelligence. On today's show, I spoke with Dr. Mark Brown. He's an Episcopalian priest in Texas, but he's originally from Australia and spent a lot of time living here in New Zealand. These days, he also runs a very large uh, ministry in Houston, Texas, uh, providing help and support for those who are really struggling. The West Houston Assistance Ministry, wham, we'll talk to him a little later on. Texas is almost the exact opposite in terms of approach to New Zealand. While we're in lockdown and trying the elimination strategy in Texas, six months ago, they decided to go in the opposite direction.
1: They don't need government to tell them what to do. They know exactly what to do.
0: Governor Greg Abbott ordering all businesses back open, dropping the statewide mask mandate and stressing COVID numbers are the lowest they've been in months. Not low enough for some. I think it's much too early. Now business owners are left to figure out their own plans. At Ascension Coffee in Dallas, they're back to 100% capacity, but mask policies here aren't changing. Manager Shane Obar cautiously optimistic.
2: My biggest concern is that people are going to not take this pandemic seriously.
1: In Houston, when Pico's Mexican restaurant announced its mask-on policy wasn't
0: changing, some threaten to call immigration on employees. Okay, so the question is pretty simple, isn't it? Has it worked for Texas to lift those restrictions to tell people, ah, eh, don't worry about masks, don't worry about vaccines. That's not so important. Just exercise your freedom however you want. Has it worked out for the great state of Texas?
1: Meanwhile, Texas has requested five mobile morgues from the federal government in anticipation of a climbing death toll from the current surge in COVID cases. NBC News senior national politics reporter Jonathan Allen joins us now with the latest. John, thanks for being with us. You know, I, I'm kind of getting whiplash here. I mean, how, how does this latest move in Texas square with the governor's ban on vaccination and mask mandates?
0: I think one results from the other. The governor's basically told. Texans not to protect themselves uh, with masks and vaccines, or at least uh, suggested that it's all right with them if they don't do that, and has uh, created a message that uh, creates permission to not uh, protect themselves. And as a result, you're seeing uh, Texas state health officials uh, and the federal government coordinating to put these refrigerated trailers in place. Uh, Basically, Texas is saying it anticipates that it won't have enough cold storage to keep all the dead bodies. You see, it seems like that and issues like that where portable morgues are required that makes it very difficult for me to believe that COVID is no more dangerous than the seasonal flu. In my lifetime, I have never seen hospitals overwhelmed by deaths caused by the flu. I've never seen portable morgues or hospitals set up in public parks like they did in New York. This is clearly far more serious than many of us have really come to accept But here's the challenge, isn't it? A bit like in New Zealand, with the elimination strategy, is kind of working, it's kind of not, and we're not really sure if we can get on top of Delta using the lockdowns and the elimination strategy, well, but it would appear in Texas, even though it's not working to open things up either, that the governor is in a sense doubling down.
2: Everything's bigger in Texas, especially the COVID figures. The number continues to grow each and every day. Huge state, huge surge, huge division. We will not comply and my child will be at school without a mask huge problem. Houston is in a real mess. Hospitals expanding into tents in parking lots. Texas bringing two and a half thousand health workers in from other states.
0: We need those men.
2: Numbers here, their highest since January. Infections through the roof vaccinations through the floor and schools going back in a week. As a parent, do you feel concerned? Are you worried about your kids when they go back? Yes, definitely, yeah, definitely. I feel like I wanna go to watch to see what's going on. This stadium swapping football for vaccines for parents, kids, anyone over the age of 12. How old are you? Uh, 12. So 12, so you got your vaccine today? Yeah. How do you feel about it?
0: uh i mean it hurt but i'm happy because you know like now i can go to school and i'm not like that scared of getting COVID. but i'm still gonna wear a mask
2: the mayor handing them out along with books and bags controversial in itself because the fight here isn't just against COVID, it's also against the state's governor. See, Greg Abbott is refusing to bring a mask mandate in. In fact, he's going even further. He is actively suing any school, any business that tells its people they've got to wear these things a $1,000 a time because he says it should be down to personal choice. Whereas here in Houston, the schools are saying, you know what, we're going to tell kids they have to wear these and we'll see you in court.
0: So it's the exact opposite, isn't it, from here in New Zealand. Here in New Zealand, we're concerned about whether or not I really have to wear a mask when I go to the restaurant in level two. Feels like that's an overreach, feels like I don't want the government telling me to do that. In Texas, it's the opposite. They've said no mask mandate and you've got schools saying, what are you kidding? We do not want our young people either getting this disease, this virus or passing it on to loved ones. And so the schools are choosing to mandate masks, even though the powers that be say that that's not what they want, it's a topsy-turvy world in which we live. But let's get beyond the big picture for a second and drill down into an individual story to realise what it's like for a family to be deeply affected by coronavirus. To have COVID take out not just one but two members of the family, one vaccinated, one unvaccinated, a sister and a father. This is serious, this is affecting real people
3: on the day of his father and sister's rosary service. It's hit, it's hit really hard. Santos Mata has to make sure his mother is okay. My mom was also infected as well. I didn't think she was gonna pull through. She's recovering from COVID-19 and brokenhearted from her husband and daughter's deaths. 65 year old Arturo Mata died from the virus on August 6th. Mata said while his father was vaccinated, he had health issues. He started with the sneezing, the runny nose, the migraine and then eventually the cough. Mata said his father wasn't hospitalized and died at home unlike his sister. I think the shortness of breath along with the congestion and coughing is what sent her to the hospital. Mata said his sister was in the ICU for about three weeks, the last two medically unconscious. Before doctors innovated her, Mata said she had a wish. She was saying that she wished she would have got vaccinated because she saw all the other people that were in the in the ER with her and 100% of the people at the time that were in the ER were unvaccinated people.
0: I cannot imagine the devastation of losing two family members in quick succession like this to COVID and the confusing signal. On the one hand, dad was vaccinated, but because he was older and had some underlying health concerns, he was still a vulnerable person to COVID. The vaccine was not enough to protect him. But then younger sister, unvaccinated should have been healthy enough to fight off the virus and of course we're now discovering that delta takes no prisoners it's a much more serious version of the coronavirus than we've seen before so this is serious stuff affecting real people so let's bring my guest today a man who's actually experienced this firsthand in the last couple of weeks that the coronavirus has really touched his world he's a priest He's actually a deputy sheriff uh, and he's the CEO of the West Houston Assistance Ministry. My friend, Dr. Mark Brown joins me today.
1: Great to be here, great to be here, sir.
0: Many people have dismissed COVID-19 as being little more than the flu and therefore can't understand why it is we'd go into lockdown, why it is we'd shut down our economy and potentially uh, put generations into debt for something no more har- harmful than the common cold than the flu itself. But you know firsthand, don't you, that that's not really true. Tell us about Manuel, who's been working for you and who contracted COVID-19.
1: Yeah so uh, I work at a, a disaster relief agency that's at the front line of COVID of response to the fallout from COVID uh, over the last uh, just over a year since March of last year uh, we've helped uh, 180,000 people uh, it is uh, I use the words devastating and it's been devastating here in Houston Texas uh, and uh, I've been very careful to protect my staff to make sure that we, uh, we continue still to wear masks Uh, You cannot get into the building. It's been like that for a long time. Uh, Social distancing, your temperature is taken every time you walk into the building. We actually have cameras that shoot your forehead uh, and tell you what your temperatures are. Uh, All the usual stuff, you know, make sure if you're sick, don't come. Unfortunately, uh, one of my staff uh, contracted COVID, uh, not here at work. Um, The sad part of it is, uh, actually, let let me just say, he contracted COVID, Uh, was in hospital, then he was put on a ventilator, which means he can't breathe for himself. Uh, And then about six weeks later, which was just a few days ago, he died. Um, He had unfortunately um, left it too late to be vaccinated. Uh, So he actually was vaccinated, but it was only a few days before he fell sick. And uh, if you understand how vaccinations work, it takes, a while, a couple of weeks, a week, two weeks for it to take effect, and then you need a second dose. And he don't, and he just had his first dose a few days prior. Now, the the heart wrenching part of this uh, is that he uh, was in his fifties. He had seven children, and so uh, just a few days ago, uh, only a couple of days after he died, I, actually the day after, sorry, he, he died, I had his wife in my office and just being with her and watching her raw grief and understanding that she's now has no breadwinner. She has no one, no way, no funds coming in and uh, obviously as he's one of us is what I said to my staff when I gathered everybody together and we paid homage to him and his memory. I said, this is one of us and his family is as well. And so it's for me uh, the the effects of COVID is very personal, very real, and it's constant, uh, absolutely devastating. You'd think that having
0: such access to stories like that would be the difference maker. We often hear the narrative in New Zealand is, "Oh, perhaps uh, many of us are dismissive about COVID because we've been protected from many of those outcomes We've had very low death rate and, and those sadly who have died have mostly been very elderly, so it hasn't felt like it's really kind of touched our lives. But even in the U.S., it still seems that this is such a divisive issue. How do you wrap your head around the fact that even when confronted with hundreds of thousands of deaths, many Americans are still objecting to all these measures?
1: The easy way to answer that, because it's actually a very complex uh, question. It's a great question. But the easy way uh, to answer that briefly is that there is a strong individualistic culture in america and what that how that manifests with COVID is i choose what happens to me i choose what happens to my body and i therefore choose not to wear a mask the second part of that which then informs that individual choice is the scourge of social media um Uh, the scourge of popularist media. And so these are commentators. These are folks who are uh, basically spreading misinformation. Uh, It sells uh, advertising space. It's a a revenue generator for them to get more viewers, uh, but they're uh, undermining the work. And then the third and final thing is we have seen a A a devaluing of institutions here in America for some time. So the the bodies that are charged at the government level to advise us, the the scientists who that's their task is to protect American citizens uh, are not trusted. Uh, So when they come out with a proclamation, you've probably heard of Dr. Fauci Uh, in New Zealand. He's a good example. Uh, He's the president's COVID advisor. He was with President Trump. He's now with President Biden. Uh, So many don't trust him. Uh, And and so when you combine those three things of individuality, uh, of uh, social media scourge, and then of mistrust of the institutions that are meant to protect us, that's why you still see, even with, look, Two days ago, I checked, we had 6,700 new cases in one day in Houston, one city in one day. Uh, We see ICUs uh, full. We see uh, constant deaths, not just the dear, dear staff member that I had, but many people are dying. Even with all of that, there is still this sense of um, it's not going to affect me. And so when when I hear what's happening in New Zealand, I say, oh, we've been down this path. And, 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 And it's a very, very dangerous approach.
0: I want to press into that final point about the institutions and its leaders who we don't trust anymore. You've got Anthony Fauci, world-class experts. You check their CVs and you should be impressed. They both have particular expertise in this kind of field. They are genuine experts. And yet... I don't know about you, but my Facebook and and Messenger people are constantly sending me videos and articles by people who are no kind of expert compared to them, and perhaps worse than that is that the sending of those messages suggests that the person sending them perceives themselves to be some kind of expert, that they've done the research. Are we really experts?
1: Right. And, and, and the example that I go to is being a parent. Uh, parenting to me is like uh, you've walked through the minefield. Now you're turning back to your children and saying, hey, there's a mine there. Don't step on it. And, and so really what's happening is that the authority figures in our lives, the, the, the Bloomfields, the Fauci's and so on, even our president and prime ministers and all of that, uh, a lot of people are acting like children. I mean, I think it's a question of maturity. It's a question of challenging authority and wanting to make the decision for yourself. It's just crazy. The last thing I will say on that is that this has become highly politicized. And I don't know how that is playing out in New Zealand, but uh, if I was you know, in the higher echelons of decision-making in New Zealand, I would do everything in my power to depoliticize it straight away and make this a public health issue, not a political health issue.
0: Well, it's certainly become politicised here uh, and used as part of it. its extreme a kind of conspiracy narrative that this is all part of a great sort of uh, takeover to enslave the masses. Uh, and it's worst, that it's just another example of uh, governments overreaching. It seems that people have not noticed that it doesn't seem to matter whether those in power are conservative or liberal. The same kind of tactics apply. So let's talk about those tactics. You've experienced lockdown in a way that we haven't. We're in the midst of our second major lockdown and already a lot of Kiwis are getting very itchy about the sensation of being trapped. What's been the effect personally, professionally, emotionally to you and your community experiencing so many lockdowns?
1: So uh, the, the, the the best way to answer that is, again, because of the political nature of it, we had... Um, politicians who were standing up and saying that um, that they're, they're actually going to do the opposite, that they're going to open up, uh, they're going to actually ban the wearing of, of mandate mask wearing. Um, so that's actually the most current iteration is that uh, here in Texas at least uh, we have the government, uh, state government uh, making declarations. But to, to specifically answer your question, I mean the reality is is it hurts. Uh it is causing significant issues with education. I mean massive issues. It caused really serious issues. I mean a huge number of particularly those from uh lowest socioeconomic households uh, were very adversely affected. We're talking about a whole year basically a whole year of learning that hasn't happened. Um that's very serious. Also uh industries like the service uh, sector or the restaurants and and so on have been massively uh, disturbed. We're talking about very high unemployment. And so, you know, when I heard you say earlier on about, you know, the economic impact and how this is going to affect, we had that very, very early on. Like, you know, that was something that we dealt with in June, July of last year. and, And frankly, a lot of us just pushed through it and said, "Well, <laughs> the alternative is is unthinkable." Um, so then, what happened is the social agencies, the churches, uh, those with uh, the means, stepped up and started to provide significant funding. Uh, For folks, e.g., there's one grant that uh, we've benefited from. I say we've benefited from, we've been able to make use of uh, that pays people who have lost jobs out of the restaurant sector. And they're paid an hourly rate and then they're placed in charities to work. That's an example, and that's many, many millions of dollars of funding right there. So this this is the 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 challenge is making sure that the community steps in uh, and and helps those that are struggling. That's been a major focus of mine.
0: I want to talk about the the personal challenge that it is, or the rather the interpersonal challenge, perhaps a function of our lockdown. So much time online, so much time able to post and communicate with others. This divisive nature where people, in a sense, find themselves forced to pick a tribe. Am I pro-vaccine? Am I anti-vaccine? Am I pro-lockdown? Am I anti-lockdown? And those who were once friends, those who were once brothers and sisters in a church community find themselves at war with each other unsure how to talk to each other on the one hand it seems the answer is well unfollow unfriend those people but of course all that does is create an echo chamber around you of voices that are only saying what you think but the alternative is to feel like you're constantly at war with the people who are supposed to be your friends
1: what are we supposed to do that's a great point, and and you know we know from communication theory that, that what is it ninety four ninety five percent of communication uh, is nonverbal, and a very small amount of communication is the actual content, right? The words. So if you're communicating through IMs, text messages, through you know putting it on on Facebook. The, the uh, capacity or uh, for mis- miscommunication is very high. The capacity for conflict is very high. You then add that to uh, the mental health issues that are rolling out of being locked down, of, of feeling this constant sense of pressure uh, and not being able to get out and uh, in the same way that you're used to not being able to socialise, when you add those things together, there's no there's no surprise to me that that inner familial con- conflict is on is on the rise. That people are getting uh, uh, upset, and and you know my my sense is, and in fact I'll share. I was chatting with uh, a congresswoman, a federal congresswoman here just recently here uh, in in the states, and. As we talked about this very issue, my, my uh, comment to her was I really think we need to focus on healing as a nation, healing as a communities uh, and interpersonally. I think there's going to be a real opportunity for wonderful psychologists and therapists like yourself here in the States. Uh, it'll become a, it should be a boom industry uh, moving forward because this is a very damaged uh, nation right now. There's no question.
0: Well, of course, you've mentioned that part of the damage is economic and it's just an example of how large the impacts are of COVID-19. Clearly, America is having a very different story to New Zealand. Where do you see this going? We've been now in the end of year two almost of this pandemic, and it's unclear whether mass vaccination will, in fact, be enough, given how powerful new variants like the Delta strain are.
1: What's going to happen next from your seat? I think that COVID nineteen will always be with us. I think this has already and will continue to profoundly change how who we are and how we are as a society. I think that you there will be sectors and uh, industries that will never recover and will have to change. Um, and <clears throat> I'm I'm a view a believer that the herd uh, immunity model works. Um, we haven't reached the herd immunity yet in America or in my area of America. Um, so really, my goal is to try and get to that point where we have herd immunity, where we start to see a decrease in the number of cases. The Delta variant, as you probably know, is a thousand times more infectious. Its, it's transmission rates are astronomical, which is why so many people are getting sick with COVID here in the States. And in fact, when I started to hear the news coming out of New Zealand about, you know, there was one case, right, and then there was 10 cases, and then there were 500. I'm not even sure what the number is uh, today or, or the last recorded. But I said to some friends in New Zealand, I said, it's going to dramatically increase. The lockdown won't completely do it and I'm being very frank here because you see the photos of people not wearing masks out in public you see them at the parks in New Zealand you see them not respecting this virus and I've seen that in my context for the last year and I've seen it continue to grow in the number of cases the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths so my message to anybody in New Zealand is take this seriously respect this virus because it may be You may think it's not gonna affect you before it is affecting you. And I have spoken to doctors who work in this field in pulmonology and and in lung health, and they have said to me that there has not been one patient who's been able to communicate they wished they got vaccinated as they lay there very sick and and they wish that they took, took this more seriously. Serious is an understatement, and isn't that curious, that
0: uh, we live in such a bizarre, polarised world. Some of us are looking to the overseas examples, wondering, do we have to stay in lockdown? Can we try something new? And then you've got Mark in the US looking at us saying, guys. If you're going to do elimination, at least do it properly. At least actually stay home and give the lockdowns a chance to work. Because it's pretty clear that whichever tactic that we choose to deal with this virus, the virus is no discriminator. It is going after us and it is going to be hard to beat. Elimination has some value, but of course, it comes with a devastating effect on the economy and of course on the mental and emotional health of those of us in lockdown. I can tell you now, as we enter another week of Level 4, that it's well and truly lost its charm, folks, I cannot bear to watch any more Netflix, I promise you. But on the other, well, at least we can see the low death rate in New Zealand means that to some degree it's worked, particularly if we compare ourselves with countries of a similar population, Denmark, Ireland, both, huge death tolls compared to New Zealand. We can see though that lifting the lockdowns, it's not working either. vaccinations they're already a mixed story and that's partly because the virus has already outpaced the vaccination which is not really a commentary on the power or usefulness of the vaccine but rather the reality that this virus is going to continue to morph and evolve at a rate that's going to be hard for the scientists to keep on track and to catch it but what we do know is this The vaccine reduces the transmission rate and it reduces the severity, Uh, and that's important. So if we go to Israel where we see that the case numbers are still high, what we're seeing is the death rate is now a quarter of what it once was. So the vaccine has somehow some benefit. Look, at the end of the day, I think we just have to try whatever we can and no one solution is going to be free from its problems. But one thing is for sure, that our government needs to be more willing to be scrutinised over its approach. It needs to be more willing to be held accountable for the failings. And it needs to be flexible, like any good leader, to letting go of a strategy once it's apparent that it no longer works. You see, my question for our government is simply this. What have you learned since March of last year? Because you seem to be applying the same old strategy in the same old way Now is that because you still believe it's the best strategy, the one that has the most likelihood of success, or is it a failure to critique, a failure to really uh, take a hard look at the approach and say, you know what, this isn't working, we need to do something different. Love to hear your thoughts about this. I know you'll share them. There's few topics that generate more conversation than COVID. So please, if you are going to get in touch or post something on the Facebook page, please be kind. It's tough enough being in lockdown. We don't need to fight with each other. You can go to the website to get in touch, activeintelligence.nz. Make sure you click on that subscribe button because we want to send you each episode direct into your inbox every week. We'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence.